the book is important for me at least uh, for for two reasons um the first reason was i wanted to make aware or highlight to singers it's how important it is that when you do sing you are conveying emotion we are telling stories in this episode i'm talking to conroy cupido associate professor at the northwest university in south africa and director on the board at the cape town opera Hi, Petra. How are you? I'm fine and you. I'm good, thank you. I hope the lighting is light enough, but this is as much light as I have at the moment. Yeah, it looks perfect. You know, it's wonderful. Yeah. So, um, t- well, it's lovely to, to uh, speak to you now on, on Zoom and because I've spoken to many of your students. Yes, thank you very much. I saw uh, the interview with Kaya Kazi and I really enjoyed that. Oh, I'm glad, glad to hear. So tell me, you're in Potchefstroom at the moment? Yes. So I've lived here now for, uh, this is my 11th year, and I moved to Potchefstroom from uh, Dallas, Texas, where I lived for almost 10 years. And prior to that, I uh, grew up in Cape Town, South Africa. Okay. And what did you do in Dallas? So uh, I first went over to Dallas on a scholarship uh, to further my postgrad studies. And so I did three different qualifications, uh, finishing with a doctorate degree in vocal performance. And while I was busy with my studies, I also then freelanced as an opera singer, uh, singing recitals, uh, also teaching. So um, I had a private studio and prior to that, I also taught at the University of North Texas as a teaching fellow. Oh, okay. And so you are actually a a singer as well. Um, Do you still sing opera? I'm much less now (laughs) at the moment. My focus is more on teaching and Mm -hmm. uh, research. I do a lot of research. So I actually have a book coming out now in July that uh, concerns uh, singing, music, and emotion. And then I uh, do a lot more music directing. Um, so the, 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 the productions that my students are involved with, and we do a lot of productions also for arts festivals like Art Club, etc. So there's um, very little time to sing at the level that I would want to sing uh-huh. at, but um, yeah, I mean, it's not something that I've completely stopped doing. So when I do get the opportunity again, I would love to maybe do a little bit less of some of the other things and maybe some more singing. Now tell me about this book that you wrote. So this book actually started with a, a different project that I was busy with a few years ago. So. A few years ago, I think it was around 2015 or so, I sang a concert of art songs, and uh, you are obviously aware of the term Zenzucht, which is this deep longing for something, and that was a theme that kind of uh, went through all the the, uh, the art songs, and I was busy with a research project where I asked four visual artists uh, to make a, a painting or a drawing or a visual representation of the songs. And in those, um, in that concert, we looked at works by Roger Quilter, by Strauss, by Schumann, uh, Dvorak, and, and then 
as one of the findings that I um, saw in the in the project, um, I saw that when you present music to uh, anybody, to a lot of people, and there are words associated, that they are generally drawn to the text because text is referential. So you get yeah. you get uh, explicit meaning when you've got text in front of you, but just because you have that text doesn't mean that there isn't explicit or, or actually, sorry, implicit meaning in, in the music, in the music structural features, in the voice of the singer. So in this next project that I worked on, I wanted to look at how these artists would make art or how they would ascribe meaning to music if they didn't get the translations of the songs. So I said, so I gave them recordings of um, songs in French and German, and they didn't speak the language, and they had to just rely on the music structural features, so the melody, the pitch, all that kind of stuff, the harmonies. Uh, and they also had to uh, listen to the singer, the quality of the singer's voice, so the prosodic elements of the voice. And, uh, and it was a very interesting uh, um, uh, project. Uh, I chose recordings by Jesse Norman, by Renee Fleming, Ian Bostridge, and Susan Graham. And uh, the book now, uh, I was working on the book, so I wrote nine chapters out of the 11 chapters. And two colleagues of mine also collaborated, each uh, contributing a chapter. And so this book is being published by uh, AOSIS. It's a, a research scholarly publishing uh, company in South Africa. And the book should be out uh, electronically in July. And the nice thing about this company is that, um, as you all might know, many publishing houses ask scholars to pay a fee. So you've got to subscribe and then you can download the book or download the, the article. And because this is open access, um, anybody can just click on the, the link and, and read it and, and it's open to, open to wow. anybody. This is amazing, but now and and the artworks can is it's also possible to see the artworks that come came from the music. Yes, so yes, so the artworks wow. they actually there's twenty of them and they mm. are all featured uh, in the book and that's the nice thing about doing um, using the method that I used in my books. So I used what I what is a pluralistic approach so that it involves autistic research and phenomenology. So autistic research is there to get tacit knowledge. As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of things that's implied in the in music. So the same thing happens with art as well. So if you look at the artworks, you can actually analyze it and see how uh, they ascribe meaning to music. So yes, the artworks, uh, they can see that and they can, wow. and it's quite interesting um, when you look at the song I chose, uh, that Renee Fleming sings, so Beim Schlafen gehen from the Fearletzte Lieder by Strauss. Um, there's that beautiful violin solo in the middle, and then there is the part where she starts singing Und die Seele unbewacht, the soul ascends again. And you can see that visually in the artworks, there's this ascending, um, they all really zoned in on that. And similarly, in the other songs I, I chose, Al König by, uh, by Schubert and um, uh, the, the Spectre of the Rose, 
um, by Balios, and then also what else was there? They uh, did another song because I absolutely love Strauss, so <laughs> I also chose him. Abendrot from the Fearless Leader that Jesse Norman sang, and yes, I'm I'm sure I'm missing something, but it'll uh, come to me but, now. Yeah, tell, but tell me, did the 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 paintings did was it up to your expectation? Did you think that they would get it? You know the the message. Absolutely. So, so this was my second project with uh, with these artists, and they amazed me in the first project as well with what they did. And what was interesting the first time was, for example, um, the very first project one of the artists did, uh, Meiner Liebest Grün uh, by uh, Brahms, and it was I thought it was going to be this like explosion of color and everything because that's how I see the music, but the artists interpret. The music on, and they express those emotions that they that are evoked in them in 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 very different ways. So actually, when you look at the different artworks, the, the one artist is a photographer, the other one uses uh, watercolor, and then one of the artists uses oil on board as as her preferred medium and then the other artist uses a combination of oil painting but also collage and so they when you first look at them they actually look very diverse and you think okay this is um your representation of al koenig but they're all very different but then when you actually start looking at elements of color, of line, of shape, um, and and actually how they interpreted fear, which most of them perceived or even uh, felt when they listened to the song, uh, then that was their way of, of, uh, of conveying that through their art. So yes, I was, I was very happy with, with what um, was the end result. Now, do you think this is also the audience uh, that that subconsciously we have this reaction or we have this feeling when we listen. Absolutely, and um, so I th the book is important for me at least uh, for for two reasons. Um, the first reason was I wanted to make aware or highlight to singers. It's how important it is that when you do sing, you are conveying emotion. We are telling stories. And when you convey emotion, you have uh, the words which the people understand. But many times people listen to concerts and they, they don't know what you're saying. No. So besides the fact that you still have to enunciate, you also have power in the prosodic, prosodic elements of your voice. So how do you shape your, your, the color of the sound? How do you play with word painting? How do you play with vibrato, not, not using vibrato? How do you, all those kind of things, using double consonants. So those things are, even though people don't understand what you're saying, the way you use a double B in Italian or in German or whatever is still very important because that can elicit an emotional, uh, an affect or an emotional mm -hmm. feeling. And uh, um, so that was the one reason that that singers become aware of the power of their voice and and the power of of conveying emotion. And then secondly, the book also contributed to new knowledge on 
what is it uh, the listening experiences how do how do people who listen to music um ascribe meaning to it first of all and then secondly also how do we uh, experience emotion from music and that's also why i chose these songs specifically from the romantic era because composers like Berlioz, Strauss, Schubert, um, they composed with what I coined in the book uh, intentional uh, affective compositional style. So they composed wanting to tell a story through the music even if the text was not there. If you look at Berlioz's program symphonies or, or Strauss's um, tone poems. They were trying to tell a story through music. So yeah, so I find that very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a singer, but, but I find it extremely interesting because I think also it's this idea uh, that, like you say, that as an audience member, you don't always know the, 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 the language that the song is being sung in and, or, or you not always know the background of the music you know like i find that artists and singers they study and they study like you say you know you you understand what he was doing and why he was writing it but as a for me for example when i go and listen i don't have this background so this means that i will still have the experience even though i don't have the background exactly and you can yeah. have a a positive experience, uh, even though you don't know what the music means, but the music still communicates something to you. And um, yeah, that's the power of music. No. Do you think in, in opera, um, of course, this is also now, it's an art form that has developed also and become very technical and, and the study of it has become very technical that that also sometimes um, loses the this that you are talking about, you know, that the, that you convey the message that you don't just uh, rely on the technique of the singing. Well, my philosophy has always been that you need to have a solid technique so that you are able to convey these emotions. So a lot of times when I adjudicate something or if I go to a concert or an opera, my colleagues and I will have robust discussions about, oh, you know, that soprano, she wasn't maybe technically that good, but boy, did she act or wasn't it amazing? Yeah. Or So for me, it's, it's difficult to hear somebody who is emoting well, but there's just so many technical flaws. Um, but I, that's the teacher in me, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is what mm -hmm. I do every day. I've got a correct vocal technique. Um, so it's difficult for me to, uh, just forget about the technique. So I look for, I look for that balance, but it's, it's important that when you do eventually gain enough technical control. So if you're singing Lucia's mad scene or any of the Belcanto repertoire, actually, that it doesn't just become vocalizers and scales and arpeggios, but that you really learn how to use vocal color, that you use your, your whole body, which is the instrument, which then conveys uh, the meaning, the, the emotion, the drama. So yeah, yeah so, so ideally I would like to have a balance 
I would like to have my cake and eat it. That's oh, it. okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we all do, so it's... I, I <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, and now, for who who would want to to read this book? Um, for so who this, did you write it, yeah? This book is for scholars. So mm -hmm. it's, if you look at the introductory chapter, it's a lot of theory. Um so it is intended for a scholarly audience, but that does not mean that someone who perhaps is not an academic um, might also find worth in it. So yeah. um, anybody can, it's written in a very accessible style so that if you look, especially at the empirical data, so ch the, the later chapters in the book, um, and if you have an interest in how to convey emotion uh, that it might appeal to you as well, but um, but yes, it it is a scholarly book. So if you struggle with insomnia, you might want to read chapter one right before bed because it's a lot of theory. And then also, as I mentioned, the um, the the paintings and the 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 the, the artworks are absolutely yeah. beautiful. And it's you know just from a point of this is somebody's interpretation of Renee Fleming's Beim Schlafengehen or Jesse Norman's Im Abendrot. This is what someone from the understanding of the music put this down in, in a very skilled way uh, in a visual medium. So that alone to me, I would, you know, it costs nothing to download it. Nobody has to pay for the book. So yeah. unless they want a printed copy, but you can just click on it and you can, you know, I, I hopefully I, I would like to send a link to Miss Fleming and say, look, yes. this is the, this is what uh, these artists' interpretation of of your yeah. of your interpretation of Van Schlafengen is. I hope that you that we've done it justice, mm. or that you you like what you see. I just find it fascinating. First of all, that you had this idea. You know, I think this is extraordinary because I think it also sometimes you, you hear people say, well, they don't go to the opera because they don't understand the language or you you, you think as 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 a, um, a non-musician that you think, well, I will only be able to to get it you know, because of the language or, or if I know the language. But yeah, this is absolutely uh, fascinating that you could do this study and, and prove it. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I, I, I hope that, that people will enjoy it when they read it. Yeah, no, I'm sure they will. But now tell me, how did you start in music? Because you are very much you you you're not just um, an artist. You're also uh, academic because because of the studying that you that you do. Yes, uh, I actually started at a very early age. Um, my mom has a very beautiful voice, so she would also always sing. My dad's uh, part of the family. Um, my dad plays the organ. Two of my uncles are conductors. Uh, one lives in London, he sings in the choir there and also conducts a choir. One of my uncles is a composer. So I was always surrounded by music. And I started piano lessons uh, around age six or seven, around there. And then um, the church that I attended uh, growing up um, has a very, very 
big focus on music and specifically at least back then on, on classical music, uh, Western art music. So I was constantly surrounded by oratorio, by the Elijah, Messiah, lots of Mozart uh, all the time. And um, I absolutely added a, a love of music because of that. And then something that the church did as well, they would, as soon as you could walk, they would put a recorder in your hand and you would then start playing recorder in these ensembles. So it would be, it would be all the Sunday school children. And say, for example, there was, it could be a small congregation where there would be five or large congregation where there would be seven, uh, 20 kids or something like that. And then everybody would play recorder and you would play hymns from the hymn book. So you would have soprano, alto, and then sometimes they would have a, a, a bass recorder or, and some of the older, um, uh, some older congregants would then play some of those instruments. And once you've played recorder, then they would really encourage you, okay, you're a bit older, why don't you learn to play the violin or the cello or the trumpet or whatever. And then, and so, and this perpetuated uh, this, uh, the orchestras in the church. And mm -hmm. to this day, they're very much involved in music education. So this is the New Apostolic Church. And they're still very much involved in, in music education in the Western Cape and, and in South Africa. Um, so basically... Where, where exactly did you grow up? Where in is Cape Town. Oh, in Cape Town itself. Yeah. yeah so, so there's various congregations all over the country, uh, but this was in Cape Town. And uh, um, while I was in high school, I loved performing in our musicals. And when I was around 14 years old, um, a director from Cape Town Opera, Michael Williams, who was also the artistic director, uh, he came to our school to audition uh, school kids for a, a, a musical, a professional musical that was going to be performed at the Baxter Theatre, which is a, a company in Cape Town or a performing house in Cape Town. And uh, that was then my first a professional engagement wow. where at the tender age of 14 when I sang in a production uh, composed by Alan Stevenson and uh, as part of the production he took us to a production of Mozart's Die Zauberflöte which he was directing and I remember sitting in the opera house at 14 years old seeing the soprano come down from the ceiling and just thinking, oh, I wish I could do this. But back then, it it really wasn't a um, an option for me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So um, I didn't think that I could make a living from that. So when I did go to varsity, I actually did study music, but I studied piano as my main instrument, and uh, with the intention that I want to be a, a piano lecturer one day. Yeah. And then just by chance. It so happened that we had to have a second instrument at Stellenbosch University and um, my singing teacher or the, the person who would be my singing teacher uh, was in the office when I showed an interest in studying singing and we went to his office. I sang uh, something from our church's hymn book mm -hmm. and he said, oh no, you've got to do singing as a main instrument as well. So then I double made with piano and singing in my first year and wow. after that singing obviously then just took off so yeah so then I completed my, 
a bachelor's degree in singing. Yeah. And after that, I worked for Cape Town Opera for a few months. And then um, there was a wonderful voice professor from Dallas, Texas, who recruited students every year to go to America. And when she was in South Africa, I then uh, auditioned with her and then I got a scholarship to go over to Dallas. But this is this is so interesting because you, uh, when you were younger and you said you you want you didn't think this is possible that you could sing. Was it because you thought there wouldn't be the opportunity, or just that that you wouldn't be able to sing? No. So back then, um, singing for me was something that I did in the choir. I I sang mm -hmm. solos, but I never received any kind of formal voice training until university. Oh, I and, see. And and also, um, yeah, I just I, you know, you're under a lot of pressure to choose a career that's going to make money, yeah. and and so yeah, I didn't really think it it was an option. It was only. Uh, I, frankly, I didn't know enough. Um, yeah. Ideally, I should have spoken to more people at the opera house or while I was doing that musical, maybe uh, see if that's what I wanted to do. But it was really only when I actually started taking voice lessons that mm -hmm. I knew that this could be a possibility for me. But I have also spoken to um, uh, the tenor Sunny Boyd Ladla and... Yes. Um, the one thing that is really, for me, uh, uh, quite sad is that many South African singers have to leave the country to make a career. And you, of course, also did go to Dallas. What was was that also the motivation to go because you there wasn't so many there weren't so many opportunities there. So actually, before I went to Dallas, the plan and most uh, South Africans of my generation, we always had the. The, the goal of going to Germany and of going to Europe because there was because Germany's arts uh, yeah. and opera houses are, are so well funded by the government. So that was my plan. And when Dallas happened, I, I obviously grabbed the opportunity. But uh, with performing opportunities in South Africa, I'm, I'm on the, the board of Cape Town Opera. And Cape Town Opera, I'm so proud of our artistic director and managing director uh, for everything that they've accomplished, especially now during COVID. I think they just published their financial statements for the last year or so. Every year they publish these documents. And uh, it's incredible to see how many performances they did even during lockdown. So if they weren't performing in person to a live audience, they still provided job opportunities for singers uh, with some of the digital platforms that they did. So they made recordings all with COVID rules and everything like that. So Cape Town Opera is really, really doing a lot for singers. For the small company that it is, it's touring now as well. So around South Africa, it hasn't really been touring internationally like it used to do in the past obviously with COVID and, and all those kinds of, yeah. of restrictions. But the work that, that Captain Opera is providing for local singers is really exemplary. So what I would love to see is that we had four Cape Town operas or something yeah. in South Africa because we've got so many singers. Yeah. And this is something that 
the national government doesn't seem to realize that we can actually provide work opportunities for so many South Africans. Um, if you look at our unemployment rate, I think it's in the 30% now or something. And there are so many South Africans that love singing opera. And when you think of what it takes to put an opera together, yeah. it's not just the singers, it's the orchestra, it's the costume designer, it's the lighting crew, it's the backstage crew, it's people in marketing, it's there's so many job opportunities and I just wish like in Germany, the government would realize that if we invest in the arts, in opera, that we can really have sustainable work opportunities for so many South Africans. I totally agree. And you know, it's like you say also, the talent is there. Uh, you, Absolutely. yeah, and uh, we, you have uh, in South Africa the uh, uh, big centers where this could happen. You know, if I just think Durban and yeah. and Johannesburg and Cape Town, and where else do you see a, a opera going? Come on, we have Absolutely. To, and we, you know, we have to say, what is the fourth <laughs> one? Bloemfontein. <laughs> yes, you know, and you know, um, it's actually funny because. The government doesn't even have to build us theatres. The theatres exist. Yeah. We just need the opportunity to, to uh, have productions in those houses. But we have the infrastructure. Yeah. So as we have the singers. Mm -hmm. Now for your students, for example, how many students do you have? So it varies. Um, when I first started in Potchefstroom at, at Northwest University, um, we were two voice uh, professors and that year I had about almost 20 students, which yeah. was a bit crazy. And yeah. um, that also allowed the university to say, okay, the singing department is, is, is quite big. It's, it's the biggest department or biggest area in the School of Music. So let's have a third uh, voice lecturer. And so now we're currently three voice lecturers. And um, because the voice lecturers don't only teach singing, so they also teach uh, theoretical subjects like uh, lyric diction. So, for example, Italian, German, or French lyric diction. We will teach um, performance practice or explaining to the students how do you sing in, in the classical style, how do you sing in the Baroque style in the romantic style, what is bel canto? And then of course, also a vocal pedagogy. So how does the larynx work? What is residence, resonance? What is uh, breath management? What is uh, vocal support? So there are various other uh, subjects that we teach as well. And then we also have quite a, a large postgraduate uh, music student body. So many of us will also then supervise uh, masters and doctoral uh, theses um, and besides all of that we still have tons of admin serving on committees uh, serving on the board mm -hmm. like I do with Cape Town Opera being involved in examinations at other universities um, there's, a, there's a lot of other things that we do as well so you really have to be careful how many students you can uh, mm -hmm. accept taking into account everything else that you do. So for me, I think 
Um, An ideal number for me would be about 15 students. Um, At the moment, I've got about 10 or 11 students. So when we recruit, when we recruit students this year, there is still place for for, for more. Uh, my colleagues uh, will also vary in the amount of of students that they take in, depending on how many uh, postgraduate students they have, or maybe their focus is on something else. So they would like to teach maybe up to uh, eighteen or twenty students, even if they had the opportunity to do so. But now, what is the prospects for these students to go on and sing because if you say now that there are not many theaters uh, and, and and opera companies what do they do when they finish so our students uh, don't only specialize in performance we actually have a fantastic music education department and we also have community music um, and there are many other routes uh, so in any university or any music department, not only in South Africa, but also uh, in America, Juilliard at um, uh, universities or conservatories in Europe, not everybody is going to be a successful performing artist. So what I tell my students at the beginning of their journey is that it's my job to try and make you the best musician that you can be and whether that is going to be a performing artist or a teacher or an entrepreneur or whatever we need to find that niche for you so um when a student starts i can uh, i can't tell them listen here why are you studying music you know it's going to be difficult to (laughs) so you, you can't squash that passion that somebody else has and say, listen, yeah, you, you really need to consider doing something more practical, uh, financially. So, um, but that being said, I will like to say that in our department, in the, in the last few years, we've had so many success stories of students who have had performing careers or are now in, in Europe, in America, performing. So I'm very proud of our department. Um, I think my colleagues and I are really, we, we have a, the privilege of working with very talented students and that we're also getting results from these students. But for those who, who want to teach, we, it, it's good that they have that technical background of, of how does the, the voice work um, and everything else that I mentioned regarding style and interpretation and diction, so that when they do go into uh, various communities to teach singing, that they have a, a strong foundation. And um, now in schools in South Africa, uh, what is the situation with music in the schools? It really depends on the on the school. I mean, South Africa still has a ways to go. Uh, to have parity amongst the various uh, schools. So obviously there are going to be some some schools that have uh, got a bit more money because it's it's a more affluent area or something. So um, we we just did a school tour in the Gauteng region, which is up here in the north of the country. And we visited a lot of schools that have fantastic, music departments. I mean, really? some of these music departments mm-hmm. look like the Vienna Conservatory. Really? It's, it's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have um, 
rural areas in in Limpopo, in Pumalanga, or in Northwest, um, where a lot of the, the the students interested in studying music don't have the opportunity to do so because at some of the uh, the public funded schools you can study music at what they call a magnet school. So this is one school. Um, in an area that everybody who's interested in studying music needs to go to that school. And unfortunately, we need more of those magnet schools or more music offered at on the basic education level. So it's, it's really a mixed bag at the moment. We've got um, music that needs to be in many more schools as a subject. And then there's also other schools that are flourishing with the music offering that they are providing to students. Well, at least that's a positive, you know, that they are, that that, that it does exist and that it, it just shows that it is possible to do that. Yes. I mm. must say, though, also um, the Matsepe Foundation uh, in South Africa provides funding for a competition in South Africa called SASCE. This is the South African school's Coral Eisteddfod. And this competition occurs predominantly in, in black schools in South Africa. And uh, um, you would be surprised to see not just quantity of students participating, but also the quality of South African singers from a young age um, being able to participate in this competition. So that is an, uh, something that the foundation does that really benefits music education in South Africa. Uh, they sing everything from opera to African music uh, and many times singers from uh, universities that then go on to to, to have successful careers, they are successful because their love for opera started in the Saskia competition or in their high school choir. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's very important that initiatives like Saskia continue to be supported in South Africa mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, and you know, I also heard from singers that we, you know, when you ask where they started, and it's all in the choir, you know, or the church choir that they started, yes. and that I find so fascinating that it's that it's there, and that they, you know, and they also also talk on a on a social level, you know, that that kept them focused and it kept them out of trouble, or it kept them uh, gave them some purpose, which is wonderful. Absolutely. It goes again uh, that you can derive so much purpose and meaning and mm -hmm. happiness from music. Yeah. But now, what what is your wish for the future? <laughs> the wish, <laughs> my wish for the future is to retire happily, maybe back in Cape Town. <laughs> I don't know yet, but um, yeah, no, I think I just need a vacation so that I can stop thinking about retirement. But okay. uh, I, um, I, I would love for my students who wish to have performing careers that they have as many opportunities for them as possible and that they really, that the world is their oyster. And then uh, for me personally, currently I'm also, um, so I finished my doctorate degree in 2009. And as I started uh, engaging with research, 
uh, I really developed an interest in music and well-being and music and emotion, as I mentioned to you earlier, or meaning and purpose. So I'm busy with a, a second master's degree in positive psychology. And so a lot of that research, those research interests I want to combine with music because music and well-being is already a very big uh, area of, of study. And so that's basically what I'm going to be doing in the in the near future wow that's a very interesting subject and and but you seem to love uh, studying <laughs> yeah i think it's <laughs> um so there is a, a test that you can do it's called values in action or via oh. it's a free test you can do online and and through this uh, uh, this test you can determine what are your character strengths yeah. and uh, so you can have character strengths like hope gratitude, spirituality, mm -hmm. curiosity, love of learning. Um, they, I think there are about 24 character strengths. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so love of learning, uh, curiosity is also one of my character strengths. So I mm -hmm. always have an interest in learning and, and um, improving on mm -hmm. my, my knowledge or yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have. I'm going to do that test. Is it online? Oh. Yeah. Yes, I, 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 I can. <laughs> absolutely, and I hope that you send me a message and share your sense with me. I'd yes, love. Yes, yes, I will. <laughs> absolutely, I will. <laughs> but um, but now I, I just want oh, oh, before you retire, you have to open still three other theaters. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to retire after that. I think that will kill me. But <laughs> but that would be great. You know, um, speaking about theatres around the country, I th my hope is that a company like Cape Town Opera can really be yeah. recognised as a national opera company because that's exactly what they are doing. They're providing work for South Africans all over the country. And yeah, I just I, I really hope that that Cape Town Opera gets the support that they need to continue with the work that they do. And hopefully if that also then becomes more theaters or more opera companies down the line, that would be fantastic. Yeah, well, I've spoken also to a few independent singers of, in South Africa. And what I find so fascinating is just their they will to do it, you know, and, and they and how innovative they are and they organize their own concerts and they just, they keep going. And I think this is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that is that South African entrepreneurial spirit, you know, yes. um, South Africans, you can't get us down. We're going to do yeah. what we need to do and, <laughs> and do it laughing. South Africans have mm -hmm. a great sense of humor. And yes, that, that spirit, that entrepreneurial spirit is really wonderful. So I love seeing South African musicians really going out there and, and not letting circumstances get them down. Yeah, no, that's true. But now I just want to ask you something, uh, one more thing, and I know in Portugal's room, there won't be a problem answering this uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite place to go for coffee or a restaurant? Oh. Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. So, yeah. you know, when I just moved to Poch, um, they had their regular restaurants here. Uh, and for a while, um, the variety wasn't that much. But 
my friends will tell you, obviously, my first choice would be a restaurant called Vistas. It's at the Featherhill Boutique Hotel and Spa. So um, it's the only restaurant in Pottery you can really get fine dining cuisine. And mm -hmm. what's nice is they will have... Uh, so I'm taking my mom and some friends uh, on the 20, well, next week or in the, ne the next few weeks. They, they will have a, a, a cuisine of a certain country every month. So oh. uh, a few months ago, we had Korean food at the restaurant. And besides the regular um, menu that they have, so they'll have these themed evenings. So um, in the, the next themed evening is, is uh, an Italian evening. So then we'll have Italian food and... Um, what they also do is they will have uh, a wine from a specific uh, wine estate come through to Poch and then the, the chef, his name is Hanu, and he's really wonderful, absolutely in, gifted. And he will then prepare a five-course menu with different wines and, and pair those with the different flavors in the food. So I absolutely yes. love Vistas yeah. at, at Featherhill. And we, yeah, we also have lots more coffee shops now. I love Demilco. It's this uh, coffee shop uh, close to where I work. Um, I love the fact that we also now have a um, kawaii. I don't know if you know the franchise, but it's a no. promote healthy food and fresh food. And that's what I really miss in Poch, like having that fresh food. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see more of that, more, yeah. more fresh food, more sushi, more of those kind of foods. <laughs> Even though my friends who come from the Cape would say, I don't trust your sushi places because you're in the middle of the country, you're not on the coast. But oh, the fish yeah. is actually quite good. So, yes. Well, I'll, I'll put the link of those restaurants on, in, in the description. Oh, the fantastic. Yeah. Conroy, have a lovely evening. Thanks, Petra, and we'll be in touch soon. Uh, yeah. It was lovely yeah. talking with you. Yeah, no, it was lovely talking to you too. And I'm going to do the test and, and I'm going to um, try and download the book. Can you say, uh, I will, uh, is there a link? Uh, you say that yes. will only be in July. It will be in July, but I will send you a link. So they've got a kind of a, what's coming up in the next okay. few months. Yeah. And so I'll send you that link. And then once the book is also finalized, then I'll send you that link of or the download link for the book as well. Because I can put this on the on the video as well, because that would be nice. If somebody that listens and they would love to see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what's nice is that link will stay the same. And yeah. then uh, uh, it gives you a, a breakdown of the book and a little short synopsis. And mm -hmm. uh, um if you look on my screen, you'll see there are two artworks, one over oh, yeah. there and one over there. And yeah. those are both artworks from the project. So really? on that side is actually the cover of the book as well. Yeah. And then uh, um, they, shortly there'll also be a little video that mm -hmm. I had to make for them where I just talk about the book a little bit more. So it'll all be on the same link and then okay. they can see that yeah. as well. So I, I'll just post the link then and that will then be, be what is available. Yeah. Okay. 